Can you fairly be called a villain if you have 24 different personalities battling for control of your mind? What's up, Story Geeks? On today's podcast, Jay Shear and Sandra Demas join me, Daryl Smith, to dig deeper into Glass, the epic conclusion to the M. Night Shyamalan Unbreakable Split Glass trilogy. Really, really interesting movie, and we had a great time digging into it. We talk about who the true heroes and villains in this movie are. We talk about all of the twists and turns. We talk about whether or not it's a satisfactory conclusion to this trilogy. All kinds of great stuff. So to hear more of our thoughts about Glass, like our blogs from Ashley and Anthony, or to share your thoughts with us, head over to thestorygeeks.com. And while you're there, we'd love it if you'd become a supporter. If you support The Story Geeks on Patreon, you get access to all of our premium content including our aftercasts and audiobooks. And on today's aftercast, we are going to count down our top 10 Bruce Willis movies. So that's a fun one. So become a premium supporter today and unlock access to that content right now. Thanks for listening in. The Story Geeks podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. Let's dig deeper into Glass. The first thing I'd like to do, though, is just get... For those who haven't seen it yet, we're going to really spoil it. So you might want to turn <laughs> off uh, if you haven't seen it yet and you don't want to be spoiled because we're going to we're gonna spoil the hell out of it. But before we do that, I want to give you guys maybe like a 60-second review from each of us about how you liked it. So if someone's thinking about going or not thinking about going, um, especially because this is kind of controversial. I've seen some controversial reviews of it. Uh, so, Sandra, why don't you kick us off? What is your 60-second review for this film? Well, I can just be like, yes, for 60 seconds. (laughs) 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 But seriously, um, while it's not a perfect film, I think it's a must-see for anyone who enjoyed Unbreakable or Split. Um, And I think it has the classic M. Night twists that, you know, it's just great to see unfold. And the themes that we saw in Split especially show up again, as do some key characters in Split and Unbreakable. So I think it is worth a watch, and it's a fun watch. What do you think, Daryl? I thought it was really good. I liked it a lot. Um, yeah, not perfect, mm-hmm. but really good, really enjoyable, a really satisfying conclusion to this story, I mm-hmm. think. Surprising to me, in a way. We'll talk about that later, but <laughs> um, but really satisfying. I think you talked about the controversy. Like A lot of people hate it. It seems like critics all hate it. Yeah, for some reason. And it seems it. like yeah. some fans love it, some fans hate it, but it's crazy successful it's making more money than almost any other film has on martin luther king weekend yeah um i just think it's sad that i don't think Shyamalan's ever going to get another fair shake for the rest of his life (laughs) no i don't think so either i think he's just going to be no one's going to forget avatar the last airbender oh oh, yeah sorry avatar is the name of the cartoon no one's going to forget the last airbender no one's going to forget the happening Right and right. other, you know, yeah, it's true. other ones are back and forth on whether or not they're terrible, but those two pretty universally terrible. Yeah, I really dug it too. I agree with you guys. I would go watch it if I if I were out there and I was listening to this. Um, after one sitting, I'd give it an eight point two five out of ten. I'll keep struggling between eight point two five. Now you can't be... even settle on two digits. You <laughs> no. have to go to three. <laughs> well, because here's the thing: it was either. <laughs> Is either eight or eight point five, and I'm like, well, I'm just gonna split the difference and call it eight point two five. I've heard people say I loved Unbreakable, but I did not like Glass or I hated Glass. 
And then they go on to describe the difference. And then I'm sitting there every single time and I go, they just described Unbreakable. <laughs> so, like, you know, so it's slow. It's character focused. It's really exploring this question of what if the themes in comic books came true for human beings like me or you? And it turns out that that's pretty boring. Editor's note. As someone who loved Unbreakable and felt Glass was a large step down, though still enjoyable, I'll attempt to explain. So while it's true that both are slow, character-driven, and tackle the realistic side of comic book themes, Unbreakable maintained a consistent level of style and artistry while presenting a laser-focused, mystery-based plot. Glass, on the other hand, is also slow, character-driven, and comic book themey, but without the same artistic drive and sense of purpose that kept Unbreakable interesting even during its slow segments. Also, Episode 9 is way more important than Endgame Jay wins. I don't know. I mean, I need to see it again, but I really, really, really mm -hmm. enjoyed it. That was a great way to kick off 2019 for me personally. Oh, yeah. So I think we're all unanimous. Yes. Then. I think it did something really impressive, which was it successfully captured the tone yeah. of both Unbreakable and Split yeah. and merged them together into one film. I totally agree with you. In a way that didn't violate either of the other two. Mm -hmm. I, I totally agree with you. That's and a great point. I think Bruce Willis did a really good job of, yeah. of recapturing his character, which based on my previous comments about him on this podcast <laughs> was surprising. Yeah, I heard a reviewer say, Bruce Willis didn't phone it in for the, exactly. for the last yeah. five years. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Uh, all right, so we're going to dig real deep into this. I've already given a spoiler warning. Uh, we are definitely going to spoil it, even starting probably with this first question. So you've, you've been warned. Um, we talk a lot about Christopher Nolan and we, well, we talk a lot about Christopher Nolan, period. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. in addition to that, it is commonly talked about that Christopher Nolan brings us a realistic comic book characters. He takes these big, larger than life characters and makes them realistic. But Unbreakable was really the first to do that in the year 2000. I actually, when looking that up, I was surprised. I was like, wow, that was way back in the day that he did that. And then again in 2016, we got split. And then they revealed that M. Night Shyamalan was building this trilogy. And then two, three, two three years later, we get Glass. So my question for you guys is, um, do you like seeing simple character-driven comic book movies? And then after you've answered that question, in regards to this trilogy, did it surprise you to see where these characters ended up at the beginning of this film? So Daryl, I'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, I like to see simple character-driven anything. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but uh, yeah, I like these kinds of movies because when you go see a Marvel movie as grand and as fun and awesome and in some cases, amazing as these Marvel films are, the fact that somebody has superpowers yeah. is no big deal in these movies because like everybody has <laughs> right. superpowers. And so you just come to accept that and that's not a big deal. But in this one, in this trilogy, the whole idea of do they have superpowers, do they not, like that is hugely important. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really exciting to sort of approach that threshold, mm -hmm. whereas most superhuman movies just blow past it. Yes. And then, like, you're talking about the Nolan trilogy. That one doesn't even get there. Like, that one's so close to reality that there are no superpowers. Mm. So this one is just a tick beyond that. Hmm. But I love it. I think it's a really interesting look at what real life might be like if superpowers existed. Mm. Yeah. Totally. You know what I mean? Totally. So I'll pause you there. So yeah. I'll just to get Sandra's take on that question. Do you like these character-driven pieces? I do. Yeah. I really do. And the more I've been watching Unbreakable, uh, you know, not I rewatched it a few times in preparation for Glass, oh, and nice. it made me 
like Unbreakable so much so that I would put it probably my top 10 of superhero movies because I just love that he's just a regular guy. You know, he has an okay job. He's struggling through his marriage, trying to be a good dad. And, you know, he's like the Bob Parr, um, but PG-13 version, right? (laughs) And, And he's trying to just find his way. And he doesn't think that what he has is special. You know, it's just... You know, it's just a feeling. It's an intuition. Um, and it takes glass really pulling that out of him. But I, I liked mm. that really slow development of him kind of accepting who he is. And now we see him in glass where he's kind of still that normal guy, but he has this intuition and this feeling and he's embracing it and using it, you know, to humbly and discreetly help people. So Yeah, it's really cool. I, I also, I mean... Totally agree. The character-driven movies, I think, are far more interesting, even so much so that uh, you sort of notice it. So I saw two movies over this this weekend. I saw Glass, and then I saw Aquaman. And I just got out of Aquaman earlier. And, and <coughs> when you talk about the two films in comparison to one another, Aquaman is like your quintessential, like standardized uh, superhero film. Right. It, we, it weaves in moments of character but it sort of does it in a pretty cheap way because it's just trying to get to the next action sequence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas Glass is this very slow, like if the characters, if it wasn't for your interest in the characters, you wouldn't care about the film whatsoever because there's not enough action to keep you going. Right. Not really. And so I, I, I agree. I think that there's something, it's, it's really special when uh, a filmmaker takes this genre that we love, but then says, no, but I'm going to make art right. about characters. And then I'm just going to sprinkle in these other things as mm-hmm. opposed to I'm going to beat you over the head with these things. And then like um, I might get some emotional moments from you, <laughs> but yeah. I don't even know if I earn them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And to even tease us by saying that they're going to go to that uh, tower, oh. to that <laughs> yeah, building. Yeah, and then yeah. he's like, JK, you know, you, and I was already once once Glass was supposed to go to that building and I'm like, OK, this is where we're going to see that big showdown typical of all the superhero movies lately where they destroy the entire city who cares who dies we just the good guys won whatever Mm -hmm. and we didn't get that and i love that he was he even like teased us with that and then he's like no i'm not going to go down like that i'm going to give you guys something where you're staying here and you have to just live in the simplicity because there's still a battle going on that's important and we don't need explosions and cgi to to tell that story so totally totally agree all right, so before we jump in, because we are going to jump into that even yeah. even more detail. But before we go there, the second question was, did it surprise you to see where these characters ended up at the start of the movie? So this movie starts introducing us to characters that we already know before because they've already come in other movies. What do you think, Daryl? Did they where they were at at the beginning of the mil- movie surprise you? I think it makes a lot of sense for them to be where they're at. Mm-hmm. It's a, I think it's kind of a perfect progression. The one thing that maybe surprised me a little bit is yeah. at the end of Split, when you see Bruce Willis, yeah, I don't know. To me, that scene sort of feels like he has set aside all of his superheroics and he's trying to leave it behind him and live a normal life. Mm. It's a lot to read into a five-second scene or whatever. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's just kind of how it feels. So that at the beginning of Glass, when he's very clearly active as the overseer, they're calling him now, and he's out right. there helping people. I was like, okay, I wasn't expecting that, but I feel like it makes a lot more sense given where the story's going. Yeah, totally. What about the others? What about Glass and 
No, I thought they made perfect sense because, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, Elijah being a vegetable in an insane asylum makes a lot of sense <laughs> because he was a very creepy mass murderer. and <laughs> Right. It doesn't surprise me that they would be keeping him doped up and not letting him use his own faculties. And, right. And the Beast is just kind of a logical continuation because right. he was loose at the end of Split and he's still loose. <laughs> still loose. He's yeah. still out there. What do you think, Sandra? I think it makes sense for all of the characters, even though Elijah is this mass murderer, but what has he actually done that they can prove if if they don't believe, like if, if the doctor doesn't believe that he has these powers, then why is he drugged and why is he kept confined? So that was the one where I was like, I don't know. I mean, he's <clears throat> he's there and he's, kept in a secure place but the others made sense like oh okay um the beast of course he has more girls that he's captured and (laughs) and the overseer that was really cool to see him working with his son i loved that i loved that and it was the same actor too so i'm like oh my god it's the same guy (laughs) but to see them working together and his son still believing in him and setting up a a way that he can help his dad still be safe but a way that he can help his dad to use his powers Mm -hmm. and and also try to keep his dad safe like don't go walking today the cops are gonna get (laughs) you right and i like you mentioned the the girls that he had captured yeah i like that they put that in Mm -hmm. because it shows it shows how round that character is because it technically it's not the beast that's kidnapping the girls, right? Mm-hmm. It's Dennis. Yeah. It's that that one personality of Dennis. Yeah. Mm. And so, it's really interesting to see them focus on that and focus on Hedwig and mm-hmm. Patricia and mm. all these other characters just as strongly as they did yeah. in Split. So it's not all just about the beast. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I agree with you guys. So just for a little bit, for those of you guys who just seen it and don't remember how it started for some reason, um, David and his son are hunting down criminals as vigilantes. I mean, they're they're being vigilantes. That's why the police, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. are coming after them. It's sort of like a Batman and Oracle type of feel. It seems like to me. <laughs> um, but jo- like Joseph is his guy in the chair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just like that, but like not on steroids. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like it's a really dumbed down version of that. Um, it did seem to me, so I, I don't know, I tried to look up like how many years were meant to have passed between Unbreakable and this film, because there was so much time between Unbreakable and Split, I just didn't know. And it did seem to me that they that the sophistication with which they were fighting crime seemed a little bit uh, rudimentary if they had been doing it for like 19 years, which is what's passed in like our real world. Mm-hmm. And it seems like 19 years, at least maybe 15 years because of the age of the sun. Right. So it's been a while since they've been doing this. So I didn't. I don't expect to see David Dunn come out in like full superhero regalia or something like that. That'd be, <laughs> yeah. That would that would break everything. But I do think it was just kind of interesting that it wasn't like, dude, you you'd think that like it'd be better to move past your simple hooded, like. Yeah, but it's also clear that they're they're also living a normal life and trying to work their way through totally. that too. They're running yeah. a business together. Yes, Robin Wright character has died yep. so they're yep. dealing with that loss yep so it just seemed I, like it just seemed like you'd want to cover your face if the police were chasing you, <laughs> you know, like, that's true but i feel like something. it's true to his character <laughs> totally you know? totally he's just he's an understated guy and he's like well whatever i just i can't get wet so you know <laughs> right that's, that's the true. priority that's true that's a good point didn't they say in the in the the closing scene of split when they reveal bruce willis 
and there's those two girls talking. Doesn't one of them say something like 15 years ago or something like that when they're talking about Yeah, maybe. Glass. Maybe that's what it was. Something like that. I feel like they say that, but I don't yeah, I don't yeah. know for sure. Um, I also liked where, like you guys talked about, where Mr. Glass was. It does seem like he's he's in a physical and mental prison. Mm-hmm. And that's very terrifying. Um, we also know that he doesn't function well in the real world. Like you said, Daryl, what he does to people is horrible. Um so I think it was also very intelligent of the filmmakers of, of M. Night and the whole crew not to include him early on and to mm. get like, because we need to get caught up on David Dunn. Yeah. Right. We just saw, um, we just saw the Horde or the, in the Beast and all those characters. So yeah. we need to get caught up in, on, on David Dunn. I thought that was really good. And the thing about Mr. Glass that just really is, ch- is challenging and M. Night handles this really well with both him and now Kevin Wendell Crumb is that when you see the flashbacks of what brought them to this place, mm-hmm. it is heartbreaking every oh, yeah. time. Yeah. And you yeah. just really wish that there could have been changes in the, in their lives. Right. But um, I, I will say that I was a little bit surprised by the fact that they were not closer to capturing the Horde based on where Split ended. Because it almost feels mm-hmm. like this movie just picks up like the week after Split left off. It almost would almost seems like it would have to because it's like, dude, this guy's kidnapping like how many young cheerleaders does he have to right. kidnap? There's probably a lot of them going down. Yeah. Like, let's get together and figure this out. Well, there was enough time for Bruce Willis to grow a beard. Right? <laughs> true, that's because he didn't have the beard at the so end. So it's of at least split. four weeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty funny. Anyway, so I thought that was a little strange, but what I loved about it um, was because also okay, just just one other note though. Casey Cook, the girl mm. from Split. I loved her. Well, she she's a great character, but she seemed almost like she was too normalized, which means mm. then there would be more time that had passed. I feel like there would mm. be more time that had passed. And I'm like, but it just seemed like you got to catch this guy. Yeah, I don't think it automatically felt to me like it picked up right away. Yeah. Well, and not only that, she had already lived a, an incredibly traumatic life. Mm. So her adjusting quickly makes sense to me that uh, okay. had it been – you know, a year or two, and she doesn't look a lot older. Um, but had it been like a year or two, that it would it would make sense that she would be adjusted, at least given the trauma that she had been through, like a lifelong trauma, because that was her uncle was her foster, her guardian. Oh yeah, that's right. So I mean, how horrific, you know? And totally. Yeah. So I I love that character. Though. Did you watch Split again? I did. This? Yeah, I need to go back and watch both of them again because I, I even like, I'm trying to go and like, wait, what was the last scene <laughs> like in Split that showed that it was a trilogy and stuff? Anyways. I think another thing that maybe seems like it, there was some time that passed uh-huh. is it feels like when Glass picks up, yeah, the Horde is firmly in control of Kevin. Like the personalities that make up the yes. Horde yes. have firmly taken hold of him. And embraced him. Yeah. Yeah. And and then, you know, like Barry and some of the other yeah, personalities yeah, are just yeah. not present at all. Right. So. Yeah. And that wasn't the case at the end of Split. Like, there was certainly a big burst where the beast took hold and stuff like that. But yeah. I don't feel like the other ones had been shoved aside necessarily. Right. So I feel like there's a progression there that maybe happened in between. The one thing I really have to say that I love about M. Night Shyamalan is that he is not going to let you just watch a film and have total escapism. 
Yeah. He's going to force you to think about something. Mm-hmm. Um, you may not want to think about it. You may you may end up thinking like, that was stupid. I hate how he made me think about that. But at least he's going to make you think about it. And as story geeks, like we're, we just we dig that stuff. So my question for you guys, I'll start with you, Sandra, is what do you think this film is about? And then what do you think the broader trilogy is about when it comes to all three films? Oh, there were two really strong themes that I was mm. – um, just kind of felt like my heart – breaking for one theme and then for the other just really kind of tilting my head so the the main theme in this film but also in split we don't see it so much in unbreakable but we see david dunn's story unfold in glass that helps bring them all together and that is the idea of um how we respond to tragedy and abuse Mm, yeah and so every one of those characters have been through bullying, been through abuse, and that did something to them to to now change who they are as a person. Mm. So for David, it turned him into someone who is able to pick up on when someone else is going through that or has um, subjected someone else to something that's harmful. For Mr. Glass, he's trying to um, see see what's going on in the world and see how there has to be someone who is the opposite of me. At least we see that in Unbreakable. He's trying to find someone who is the opposite of him because it doesn't make sense that he should be so vulnerable and mm. so eas- easily broken. Mm. Um, and for the Beast, we see, well, for the Horde, we see them really just trying to, like so angry, needing to avenge the uh, hurt and the pain and the abuse that is caused on those who are then having gone through it, they're now pure, but he's so angry from it and he has to seek revenge. And then there's Kevin who just can't even cope. He can't even Mm -hmm. deal with it. So he is away from the light. He is just so broken from it. So that was like one big theme that I just thought was really interesting as we think of how we engage people in the world and people who have been through tragedy and abuse and how we can respond differently to that. And then another theme that I saw more so in Glass than in the other films was really having to do with the doctor and Mm. the idea that you you can see something and that is the proof that you need to show that something is true or not true. But if you don't want that to be true, you will do everything you can to reject it. And so for her, she sees very clearly that David and the Horde Mm. and Mr. Glass have these powers, but she refuses it because they, they just, they cannot have gods among us. So she makes sure that they are, she's trying to persuade them that they don't have those powers. And it would make sense for the Horde and for Mr. Glass, who aren't doing good with their powers. But for David Dunn, like even for someone who's doing good, she has <laughs> right. to make sure it doesn't exist because it doesn't fit in her worldview and in the worldview that the, the Clover people have, you yeah, know. The and Clover so, people. The yeah, Clover so it's just really people. interesting that even for someone who's doing good, if she doesn't want that to happen and doesn't believe that that's real, then she rejects it. Yeah. So I thought that was a really interesting theme. That, that is really interesting, yeah. Because you can think about that in terms of what I love about story is that you can apply them, right, to what's going on in the world around you. And you mm-hmm. can see it's like, well, what happens when we when we turn our way or turn our eyes away from truth? Because it's usually because, and I think it's true of this film too, 
it's like, okay, well, I fear this. Right. So therefore, I'm going to go into protection mode instead of love mode. Mm-hmm. And anytime you're choosing fear instead of love, you're in big trouble. Yeah. Like even even the characters you mentioned, like a, like a uh, Kevin Wendell Crumb, if he's choosing fear instead of love, the beast is there. Right. Uh, and it's just it's really interesting. That's a really good pickup. What do you think? You find anything? All those things. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think especially what you were talking about towards the end there, Sandra, it speaks a lot to control. I think everybody's trying to control their mm-hmm. world in the movie. Um, mostly in glass, for sure. Like Ellie's trying to control the knowledge of the existence of superheroes. Yeah. Um, as is Elijah from the exact opposite <laughs> angle. Right. Yeah. And then um, the beast is, I mean, Kevin's trying to control himself. You know, he's trying to control his world. And I feel like David Dunn's the same way. Like David Dunn doesn't have the as overt stuff that he went through Mm -hmm. as like abuse and Elijah's, you know, getting bullied and and having his disease and stuff like that. But you see in Unbreakable, he comes from a suffering family. He has a son that he can't connect to. Mm -hmm. He has a wife that he doesn't get along with. Mm. And I feel like that's what he's trying to take control of by helping other people. Mm. So, <clears throat> yeah, I think control. Control is a theme. Yeah. yeah. And then I think we'll talk more about this later when we talk about the end. But I think that speaks into how the movie ends in a really beautiful way. So mm. I'll save that for later. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, I Yeah, I think that the, the trauma pickup is one that I didn't even catch. I didn't even catch, but it's phenomenal and the way you described mm. it was great uh one of the ones that i was thinking about and it, and it mainly comes from the perspective of mrs glass and it's related to trauma and it's related mm. to everything but it's about finding your purpose because it's also oh, what yeah. joseph wants for david right mm-hmm. dad i want you to be who you are like be that person who right. you're supposed to be um even even the the horde believes the beast is supposed to be something and they they're putting a purpose on on that character and that that theme is very consistent with Shyamalan he he always has characters who are trying to learn like why they're here and whether or not they have a purpose i mean mm-hmm. science comes to mind every time yeah. i think of that because yeah, it's sure. super super apparent um but i think that that's consistent in 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 glass so you know mrs price uh, elijah's mom um, is constantly saying like, no, you have a purpose. Like you should use your mind. Like mm-hmm. she's telling him to use his mind, even though he's using it in horrible ways and right. horrific ways. So I think that's a really interesting uh, theme for me. Um, and of course, there's there is some tropiness to that, some comic book tropiness to that, because all kind of comic books are like, oh no, you should be a superhero. You know, like <laughs> so there is that tropiness, but it's it's not as much a trope in my mind here because of the fact that it's such so uh, realistic of characters, right? So it doesn't it doesn't seem that that much. I think there are a couple slightly sub, more subtle themes, and this is kind of related to what you were saying, Sandra, but a slightly different take on it. Um, remembering your self worth and remembering your inherent value, even if you're different, in the proverbial system that's trying to hold you down, right? Because mm-hmm. like like Ellie and the and the Clover the deal is this like secret society of people who are trying to hold back. Uh, for good reasons and bad reasons, people who are gifted. Mm-hmm. And there's this kind of subtle thing, which is like, I think in the, in Western culture right now, as we're trying to figure out what our value system is, there's this clash of value systems that just keeps happening in our political system, especially. But even just in our culture, like living next door to people, it's just like the, all of these clashes. And there's this sense that, you know, if there's a system that is putting people down, like we should 
we should check that system. There mm -hmm. seems to be a, some subtle themes there. Um, and then, of course, the other question is, uh, does the end justify the means? And that's pretty consistent throughout Unbreakable, throughout Split, and now even here, does the end justify the means? And so we'll get into that a little bit more in some of the other questions. But yeah, those are, I mean, pretty powerful themes to work with too. Oh yeah. He's not messing around. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I think that the trauma one, that one was so obvious for me because just any kind of study of what people go through, there's a high percentage of people that we interact with on a day-to-day -day basis who have gone through trauma. Mm. And that's why I loved Casey's character because she didn't have a superpower, but she did in a sense. Because you think, what do superheroes do? They save people. Yeah. Well, what did she do? Her compassion and her deep empathy for mm -hmm. someone who has also been through horrific abuse, uh, meaning Kevin. Yep. Her deep compassion led her to protect him as much as she could, even when there were police officers with guns. She's like, don't shoot him, give him compassion. Yeah. And so that that power that she had and the compassion that she gave him did save him in that sense because it gave Kevin the light again. Mm. And so I thought that's really cool that mm. she doesn't have an actual superpower, but she does. And that's mm. part of being in M. Night's <clears throat> world is that he has like this magical realism component, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which it makes me think of Horns, which I really loved. It was such an odd movie, but it was like a normal world, except for this one thing. And <laughs> that's the world that we're living in, in um, the Glass Trilogy. Uh. And for Casey, she doesn't have any magic except for, mm. and this sounds like so Disney, but the power of love, you know, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. compassion. But it did, it did ultimately save at least one person. I thought that was very inspiring. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. That's what, I mean, that's what movies like this can do. They can inspire us, which is mm -hmm. awesome. All right, so it wouldn't be an M. Night Shyamalan movie without a twist. <laughs> and I felt like there were two significant twists, and you guys tell me if I'm over-exaggerating one of them or if you saw other twists that were in the film that, I'm, that I missed, but I'll bring up those two and get your responses to them. Um, the first was that Mr. Glass was actually never, like you brought it up already, Sandra, he was never trying to get to this, the skyscraper. They mm -hmm. set it up as like, we're going to go get to the skyscraper because then the whole world will see us. They're unveiling a, they're unveiling a brand new skyscraper. All the local news stations are there. And the idea is that they would have this last battle between David Dunn and the Horde mm -hmm. at this skyscraper. Um, but that's a that was just a ruse. He was just uh, pulling one over on his pursuers, basically, and that was never going to happen. So that was a big twist, and he didn't intend for it to ever happen. Um, I felt like that was also a bit of a shot at Die Hard, <laughs> don't you think? <laughs> With the big skyscraper, it's like <laughs> maybe so. Yeah, he's like, I did. I never got a machine gun. <laughs> um, the second twist was that Sarah Sarah Paulson's character, who's named Dr. Ellie Staple, which, by the way, every time I read that, I want to say Sattler. <laughs> <laughs> every time I read it, I'm like, that's wrong. wrong it's, it's not the right thing. Yeah, it's the wrong franchise from, from Jurassic Park, Dr. Ellie Sattler. Uh, Dr. Ellie Staple uh, was working for this clandestine organization that sought to capture and eradicate superheroes. And that was what we're referring to when you hear us talk about the, um, the Clover group. Like, they literally will have a meeting where they wait for, like, the two people who aren't a part of their secret society to leave the restaurant. And it's like, okay, meeting, meeting, yeah. <laughs> meeting adjourned or started or whatever. Um, so my two questions for you guys regarding the twists, uh, and I'll start with you on this one, Daryl, did either of these twists surprise you? And then what did you think of them? Did they work? Um, 
the fact that there were twists yeah. didn't surprise me. Not just because <laughs> it's a Shyamalan film, but specifically with those two characters. Ah. Because, I mean, we know that Elijah is the mastermind. We know that mm. there's something more to him than what we see right off the bat. Yes. So I knew there was going to be something else coming from him. And there had to be something else coming from Ellie Staple. Yeah. Because all you know about her is that she studies people who believe they're superheroes. Like, <laughs> that's it. You don't know anything else about her. Right. And it's like, well, if you're not going to tell us anything else about her and you're not going to give us anything else to latch on to, yeah. clearly there's something else coming. <laughs> right. Um, but I didn't necessarily see these specific twists coming. Okay. For her, I sort of thought the twist was going to be that maybe she actually had an ability of her own. Oh, that'd be crazy. Mm-hmm. And um, that played into things somehow. And then um, I didn't necessarily have a specific expectation for what Elijah was going to do. Yeah. But I love that twist because the the one thing that kind of bugs me a little bit about the Ellie Staple twist yeah. is there was no hints whatsoever. Right. Mm-hmm. At least Nothing. N- at least none that I, I that I can remember. If yeah. I go through it again and I like see everybody has got a clover yeah. tattoo maybe, but like, yeah. That was a hard left turn, <laughs> which, <laughs> right. which is bold. I mean, yeah. I feel like usually a well-told story would drop a hint at some point. Yeah, especially early on with like the police going around or something like that. They could have yeah. dropped some hints, but I mean, yeah. maybe they did. Maybe we just didn't catch it. And I'm not saying that this was not a well-told story. I think he got away with it. Yeah. He pulled it off, yeah. but it's gutsy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the Elijah one um, was brilliant because we saw we saw him do every single thing that he was revealed to have done. Yeah. We just thought he was doing it for different reasons. Yes. Like we thought he was on the computer so that he could research Kevin, not so that he could take over the cameras. Right. And yes, if when you go back and think about the movie, like almost a quarter of the fo- the film, maybe more, you see through security footage. Oh yeah, true. And they do tend to show a lot of them using their powers via security footage. Yeah. Which you don't think anything about because it just feels like that kind of a movie, and that mm-hmm. helps portray the realism. Yeah. And then you come to find out, like, oh no, that was just a big giant hint to what Elijah was doing all along. <laughs> right. You know, I'm glad you said that because I was not even. This is not in my notes at all. But M Night Shyamalan uh, frames his shots so well that whenever they would cut to security cam footage, I'd be like, "This is terrible." Like it, it was like it's striking when you see see the stupid security camera angle comparative to what he's normally getting. Yeah. Because he gets these really fascinating angles that yeah. I really love a lot of the time. And um, now that you say that, it, that makes actually more sense that it would they would it would be stupid because part of the story is us learning that this is actually like we're the we're the real world that doesn't know about this yet. Yeah, Almost. and it's a scary movie trope, like especially movies that take place in insane asylums and yes. things like that. Like yes. security footage is generally part of what you see in the movie yeah yeah you know you know um james mcavoy also said that that place was super creepy to work in because it's it's a non-operational mental um, institution oh really <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's like yeah it's, it's pretty creepy uh all right sandra what do you think of the twists the twist with uh with glass not going to the skyscraper that was a pleasant twist because i again was picturing all of the cgi type things happening yeah. and when it was like oh wait we're not actually going there i'm like yes this I'm glad I'm glad that he's keeping it simple and letting us stay in a more realistic environment. Um, th- the other twist 
with glasses that he also created. He's responsible for having created the Horde. Yeah. And that was Um, really cool. Like discovering that he not only created or discovered the Overseer, but he created Mm. the Horde. I'm like, oh, man. I feel (laughs) like that one, though, because he didn't know that. I don't believe he knew that. I think he found that out. Mm -hmm. We saw him find that out when he was looking at the computer stuff. Like he reacted to something very strongly. Right. And I think that's when he realized that. So he didn't set out to create Kevin like he did to create David. Yeah. Like that's pretty. Yeah. So I feel like him taking the credit for that Mm -hmm. is almost like him starting to lose control of his mastermindness, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, he's like, oh, I'm going to take control for that because that makes me look like a mastermind too, <laughs> you know, but when it's really just coincidence. <laughs> right, right, yeah. right, right, right. Um, and the twist with the doctor, that was, again, like a hard left turn you yeah. said. It, it was like, wait, what? Because she's like, take my hand. That's pretty messed up. If you yeah. know, like, <laughs> he can now, like, read or grab your experiences by grabbing your hand. And you're doing that as he's drowning. Yeah. Like, that's just so brutal. Like, grab my hand. <laughs> um, and it, it was out of nowhere. Mm. Then you start to see all the things, all the Clover people, and they're interacting. And I'm like, but why? Like, mm. and, and if this is truly the end, like, I've read things where I'm nights like, this is this universe is done. I'm like, yeah. what? Come on. <laughs> give me more. Yeah. yeah. So that, that twist was, yeah. I, I loved the movie, but the, that twist and the way that it ended, it left me wanting more, which mm. is a good thing. I mean, you don't want sure. to be like, I'm so sick and tired of this movie. <laughs> right. But yeah, it was a, a kind of a strange turn. And then it's like, okay, what do the clovers mean? Like, right. is it, you know, religious connotations or mm. is it just, oh, clover like a club because they're a club? Ah, they're all like, Irish. Editor's note again. I would like to point out that the standard representation of a clover is almost always the lucky four-leaf version, whereas these tattoos appear to be glaringly three-leaf, which could lead one to wonder if this group might possibly have a specific opinion about the rarer special cases within a given population. Um, I totally agree with you guys about the skyscraper twist. Like, Honestly, if they had gone to the skyscraper, it would have disappointed me. Right. It would have taken it away from that being the characters are the focus here. Now, granted, I do think from from a certain audience perspective, if you're sitting there thinking, I'm kind of tired of this whole character drama. I just want to see a god battle. And you're like, <laughs> oh, that's so annoying. Like, why didn't they go to the skyscraper? He built it up. But I'm mm-hmm. like, if you are thinking that... You don't like these movies. Right, like, yeah, exactly. You're not into what this is about. You've never seen a Shyamalan film. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right. So I, I really... And really... if you have, it was The Last Airbender, which makes <laughs> sense why you haven't seen any other Shyamalan film. Right. I still have never seen that, by the way. Don't, don't. I know, that's yeah, what people yeah. tell me. They say, don't don't bother. You're good. Um, <laughs> I actually liked the... I guess with the, with the, the Doctor twist, that's almost a twist that doesn't matter except that it is he's playing with a theme there because if it's just the doctor and if it's one person who says i feel like you guys are crazy mm-hmm. that's that's one thing right if it's if it's a systemic thing where they're trying to stamp down people's unique abilities mm-hmm. that's a different thing so if it's one person versus the system and by the way the system is pretty 
complex based on what we the the few scenes we see with all these people with their clovers and stuff. It's a, it's a pretty it's a pretty sophisticated system. So did you pick up on the fact that a lot of the people that were in the the meeting of the clover people yeah. were employees of the hospital? No, no. I didn't pick that yeah. up. Yeah. Oh. Really? So um the uh, the guard, the security guard that oh yeah Daryl. I don't know why in every movie when they have a character who's like an idiot who gets himself killed and like is some sort of an <laughs> arrogant douchebag, it always has to be named Daryl. I'm like, like thanks. Gosh, thank you Robert Kirkman for, for Robert Kirkman for writing a good character named Daryl. Like That's I right. appreciate Daryl Dixon is the man. Yeah. But anyway, that security guard who mm-hmm. that guy Daryl was talking to and telling him he had to take his vitamins and stuff like mm-hmm. that. That guy was in the room. Oh, really? Wow. The nurses were in the room. The ones who were about to go into the building yeah. when the oh, beast yeah, was yeah. out and David Dunn told them to leave. Uh, they were in the room. Oh, Interesting. I did not pick up on that. So, I didn't pick up that either. Good pickup. If yeah. Daryl hadn't have died, he might have been in the room too. I don't know. Maybe he was one of them. <laughs> maybe, yeah. Maybe so. And which one? Daryl was the, the guy with the beard or the guy without the He was beard? the guy that got that Elijah killed. Okay. Oh. Yeah. So he's the smarter one. <laughs> the other guy's a total idiot. <laughs> well, neither of them Like, you don't get a clover, awards. dude. You don't get yeah. a clover. Yeah. You just, you're still on the yeah. initiation stage. <laughs> uh, so anyways, I think that those twists were uh, were cool. I didn't, I didn't see either of them coming, but knowing that they didn't go to the skyscraper was, I think, a really good thing. I want to do a make it better on this movie because... I feel like it is almost great, and I think I have ideas. I think Ooh. you're 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 in that you're in. I would agree with that. It's like almost great. It's like yeah. really close. It's like solo. We talk about solo where it's like oh, it's, it's yeah. like really good. Yeah. So this movie is named Glass, and Mr. Glass serves as the protagonist. He's the one with the goal to let the world know that superhuman to let the world know that superhumans exist among them. Um, then this clandestine organization we talked about earlier, this Dr. Ellie Staple-led uh, organization of Clover people. Cloverfield. <laughs> Cloverfield. <laughs> um, that's the the antagonist. So she and her organization are the antagonist, trying to prevent Mr. Glass from achieving his his goal and even go beyond that to, to eradicating superheroes altogether. So that's antagonist, protagonist, but who are the heroes and villains in Glass and what makes them heroes and villains? So let's tackle the, uh, I'm just gonna go, we're just gonna go character by character and explore each one. So let's start with the main characters. David Dunn, Sandra, is David Dunn a hero or a villain and why? He is a hero, he is a humble and covert hero, but he is still working to help people to not get any credit and to just make the world a safer place. Mm. He's just straight up hero. Yep. All right. Daryl, what do you think? I would agree with that, at least at the beginning. I mm. think throughout the movie, he starts to question whether he's a hero. Ah. And we always say on the Story Geeks that heroes versus villains is about selflessness versus yeah. selfishness, right? Yes. And he's very selfless when the movie begins. But I think he starts to get a little bit selfish mm-hmm. because mm. Ellie starts to get into his head and he starts to think, Maybe I'm not hmm. a superhuman. Yeah. Maybe I can be normal. You know, <laughs> yeah. maybe like I think he starts to maybe even want that just yeah. a tad bit. Wanted to go back to being normal. Yeah, but yeah. he doesn't hurt anybody in mm-hmm. his effort to want it. So I don't think that that's villainous per se. Hmm. I, I just want to add too that when he gets captured by the police, like he has no reason to let them capture him. Except oh, that the he line just that they say is perfect though. What what, what Ellie tells him? Because you're right. He. He doesn't have to stay there. He could easily get away. Yeah. But when she, they all surround him and she tells him, like, you could get away, 
but you're going to have to hurt a lot of people to do it. Uh, and that's yeah. why he stops. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, and he had he, he had no reason except for not wanting to hurt people. Yeah. And I think wanting to even like just telling his son, like, I'll be okay. Forget what he, what exactly he tells him, but yeah. um, he, he didn't want to do that. He didn't want to hurt a lot of people and he didn't want to use his power in a way that is hurting the good people. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things that M night Shyamalan does really well, and he does it really well here too, is that there it's not, it's not super clear cut because I do agree with you. He's a hero. I think he's one of the only heroes in the film actually, but he is a vigilante, <laughs> which is, which causes its own problems. I mean, when he goes after, first of all, the one advantage he has over like a Batman, let's say is that he has a, at least a, I would say a higher degree of confidence that people have done bad things because of the feeling that he gets. Yeah. Now he's not totally confident in that feeling. Cause he kind of even says when she's at, like, when she's really interviewing him about it, he's kind of like, well, it's just a feeling I get. I don't know what else to tell you. Yeah. Um, but I do think that that's now I would love to explore different story geeks podcasts on unbreakable, <laughs> but how that power actually works and how come he doesn't touch every single human and be like, well, that person did this bad thing, you know, cause all humans are doing not perfect things. Would you? you? Know? If you could do that, would you touch everybody and want to know all no, that stuff? No way. <laughs> yeah. I'd be wearing gloves and all kinds of stuff, man. I'm not into that. Um, but anyways, that's that's a whole different that's a whole different line of, of thinking to go down. I do agree he's a hero, but every time you have a vigilante, the question is, how do we know? He throws a dude across the room. Now, that guy just sucker punched uh, I think a, uh, a person experiencing homelessness, if, if, if that early shaky video cam that they're doing for YouTube, those two oh, guys, yeah. oh. I mm-hmm. think it's like, I think it's like a, it's, it's, it's not, I don't think it's just a normal person walking down the, I should normal person. Of course, people experiencing homelessness are normal people. But I, what I mean by that is just, I, I, I got the impression that it was a disadvantaged person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it wasn't a person who had the ability to defend themselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, so do we want to see that guy get thrown across the room? Yeah, yeah, I want to see that guy get thrown across <laughs> the room. But at the same time, he is subverting a justice system, right? Mm-hmm. Like, who, who knows? Maybe that guy goes around touching people and sees that they're bad and goes and sucker punches them. It doesn't seem like it, but, mm-hmm. you know, like, what does he know? Anyways, so I would say that David Dunn is a hero. I would agree with that. Uh, but even M. Lion Shalomai won't, won't let us get away with the very clear Yeah, everything's gray, which is Everything's gray. All right, Mr. Glass. Sandra, I'll start with you on Mr. Glass. Do I think he's a hero? No, I don't think he's a hero. I don't think that he is trying to save anybody. I think he kills a lot of people just to find uh, David Dunn's character. Um, so, yeah, I don't I don't live in a world where I would see Mr. Glass as a hero. He's a mm. broken person, like literally and figuratively, but I don't see him as a hero. Okay. So you say villain. Yes. Okay. I'll say villain. <laughs> doubtfully. Doubtfully. No, because I hate like <laughs> labeling people like you are a villain. <laughs> but he's not a good guy. Like yeah. he's not he's not coming to my birthday party. <laughs> Dude, if he did, that'd be the craziest birthday I know, party of all right? time. Be like, why did you give me this present? Is this gonna be <laughs> something I'd use five years from now to kill people? Daryl, what do you think? I think he's a straight up villain. Okay. Um, because I don't really think he's trying to help anybody per se mm-hmm. in his efforts but he is willing to kill a whole lot of people mm-hmm. do despicable things just to further his cause mm. which is to make superhumans known right 
Which I mean, maybe you could argue that that is to help superhumans. Yeah. You know, so maybe he's got a little bit of a Thanos thing going there, but <laughs> but uh, you know, with a reasonable motivation, you can still be a full blown villain. Right? Yes. Yes. We have Thanos. We have Killmonger. Sure. Like sure. It doesn't matter. So yeah. I think he's definitely, for sure, a villain. Yeah. But maybe the only one in the movie. Oh, mm. interesting. So the thing, the definition that we usually come up with when we talk about heroes and villains is that heroes do selfless things and it causes, they have to sacrifice something in order to do the selfless acts. Villains are after, after their own self-interest. So Mr. Glass to me is Magneto. He's the closest thing to Magneto, right? That's funny because I would compare Ellie Staple to Magneto. In fact, my wife what? and I were talking about this earlier tonight. <laughs> yeah. My wife is so cool. She hasn't seen any of these movies, but she was still willing to talk about all this stuff <laughs> in, That's cool. in That's cool. intricate detail with me. <laughs> well, but, let me, uh, so let me just go down this thought, thought process for a minute. He wants the same thing that Magneto wants, which he wants. He wants for superhumans to have their place in the world. Yeah. Um, and I agree because we, we see this. It's the same thing with Magneto. Magneto is in a uh, in a Nazi prison camp. Yeah. Right. And so we see the tragedy, but then he takes that tragedy and he misapplies his giftedness to fight that tragedy yeah. by doing what I would agree is evil things. So even and to though be he, clear, I don't disagree with that. I would definitely compare him to Magneto as well. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But I, I was saying I would also compare. Oh, got Ellie it, got Staple it, got it. I thought you were. Gonna, I thought this was going to be a defended all of a sudden. No, no, no. I don't, we're not going <laughs> to. I was like getting my popcorn out. Like, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> yeah, what is going on? Um, so I, I, I do agree that he's a villain because. Even though he's trying to do something that helps other superhumans, I don't even think his motivation is to help other superhumans so much as to be seen as something that is not broken. Yeah. Because, because he is seen yeah, he, as... He wants to control it. Yeah. yeah. You're the dude who can't even ride a, a, a carnival ride without completely <gasps> oh, almost killing that yourself. Was so yeah. sad. As super sad, right? Yeah. And the one the one uh, male uh, attendant slash nurse or whatever is like, I'm going to drop this flashlight on your legs oh, on yeah. your paper legs yeah like that i'm like dude, dude. that dude needed to be beat up yeah for sure anyways thank goodness daryl didn't do that <laughs> <laughs> so anyways I, I think he's definitely uh, unquestionably a villain um i think that that what m Knight does really well is he makes us really sympathetic towards him mm-hmm. by showing us his backstory and yeah giving us i mean his mom loves him and we see him we see him from the view of his mom has it for him. And you're like, maybe he is kind of cool, but mm-hmm. he's still doing just really terrible things. Um, Daryl, I'll start with you this time. Kevin Wendell Crumb and the Horde. So fascinating. Um, okay. this My wife and I spent a lot of time talking about this one <laughs> because... And she hasn't seen the movie? No. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no. um, this one is so confusing mm. because if you take Kevin as a person... yeah. And regardless of all the different personalities that are happening inside his head, take yeah. him as one person. You cannot fairly call him a villain because he's not even in control of himself. Sure. Like Kevin Wendell Crumb is not setting out to do anything hmm. um, consciously in response to what his mother did to him. Hmm. His brain is broken and it is sort of... It, involuntarily yeah. acting out and creating all these personalities and stuff like that. So I don't feel like Kevin himself you can call a villain. Okay. Um, I don't even feel like you can call the Beast a villain. 
Editor's note. What? Because the beast he's is doing, evil. He eats people. Sure, he's doing horrible things. <laughs> but he's a but, nice guy. <laughs> but, he's recycling. But if we're talking about motivation, yeah. I don't think he is... He's not trying to accomplish something that's villainous. He's He's like... He's the embodiment of rage, right? He's the embodiment of all of the anger and the rage and the hatred that builds up when you are, you know, abused for your entire life. Sure. And and you can point to all the other personalities. There's a, you know, there's a reaction to it in every personality. So if the beast were the only personality within Kevin, mm. maybe you could call him a villain, but it's so confusing because it's so fragmented. Mm. So I feel like if there is a villainous personality within Kevin, it's the horde. It's Dennis and Patricia mm. and Hetwig because they are the ones and whoever the others are. I think at one point he says there's still 10 of us. Yeah, there's like so he does know. 20 different characters in this film alone. Yeah, which means there's four more we haven't seen because yeah, well, they say he has this. 24. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Um, or maybe Kevin's one of them. I don't know. But um, those three are at least put forth as being the ones that are trying to bring forth the beast. Yeah. So, but again, they're not people. They're personalities within this broken dude's head. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. so weird and intricate and confusing. <laughs> That's for sure. That I don't feel like you can just straight up call him a villain. It's just not that mm. simple. Mm. Okay. Editor's note. So we're okay with the rage murder eating? What do you think, Sandra? I think it is fragmented because you have these different personality, personalities and each one has their own agenda. And so if their agenda is to help people, and I think for Hedwig, he... In Split, he seems to want to help a little bit, or at least he's a bit more endearing. Um, yeah. In Glass, he's still endearing, but he's like, ooh, the bees, he's coming. <laughs> um, so for him, I would say he's a villain, or at least um, encouraging the villain to step into his role. Um, for Patricia and for Dennis, I would say the same. Mm. Um, for Kevin, I don't think he's a villain He's not even in control. So the times that he is in control is when he actually does the good thing. Like when he lets Casey go at the end of Split, that's Kevin who does that. Mm -hmm. um, and he is able, which is pretty powerful, he's able to break through the beast's motivation because there's an inkling of, of compassion left in him. When he mm -hmm. sees all of her scars, he's like, wait a minute she's like me and she knows the pain I've been through and that brings out Kevin um, for the beast he is I would say he is his own hero he thinks what he's doing is righteous because he knows the the trauma that he's experienced and he is so angry and he wants to make sure that whoever is doing that like he's going to protect them but not really to protect them to just avenge them mm. um but that's not what a hero would do because it isn't even uh, nothing's being prompted where he has to respond. But he is anyway. He's just so angry and he, he you know, beefs up and he I think he thinks he's a hero, but he's he's acting like a villain. He's not being selfless. So I think it's it's both. And I think it depends on who's in the light, whether he's a hero or a villain. I think the only hero is Kevin. And everyone else is a villain or 
apathetic or encouraging um, villainous acts. Yeah. And just just to, to check here, they stated, I think it was Patricia's character that stated very specifically that they wanted the beast to be unleashed on the world because they wanted to show that human beings have evolved to another level, right? Didn't she say that in the film? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I would say I'm going to take – we're all like maybe on a scale <laughs> and Daryl is the most like down. Well, again, even if she said that, <laughs> yeah. she's not a whole person. She is no, a piece right. of Kevin's psyche totally. reacting to the trauma that he's been through. Totally. Yeah. I, I, so I think this is going to be, I mean, I'm, I'm sure uh, our blogger and friend of the show, Anthony Holder is probably going berserk on the other side of, the, <laughs> of his list of his podcast app, because um, this, this has to do now it has to do with, do we judge people by their behavior? Do we judge people by their intent? Do we judge people by their mental frame of, of mind? Um, and I think the answer in my mind is all of the above. But the problem is, is that I don't think I can identify that the Horde, any character in the Horde, I do think that there are certain characters within the Horde who are better adjusted to what reality is. And some, as you mentioned, like Barry doesn't even show up, I don't think, right? I think he does briefly. Briefly. But yeah. he was fairly well adjusted. He might be one of the split. ones that he cycles through when he's in the hospital room and they keep flashing him. Yes, 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 yes. By the way, how fascinating is it that they call it stepping into the light to take over? Yeah. Yet it's light that causes them to disappear I, and have another character. It come actually in. confused me. <laughs> I'm like, what is going on? Why are they why are they referring to it in those two different ways? I thought it was really cool. Almost like it's shedding too much light. Uh you know yeah. what I mean? Like it's yeah. flooding it. I don't know. Well, cool. I just I just have to look at it. I'm going to look at it at face value and say that the only character that is specifically against bringing the beast forth is Kevin Wendell Crumb. Kevin Wendell Crumb is the actual human. I don't think that's true. I think several of the other personalities are against it. I think you see that in the scenes when the light is being flashed at him mm. in the hospital. Okay, room. that's fair. Like, I don't know. Jade or the ones who are terrified. Maybe? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there are those. some that are at least not on board with the beast. They're yeah. at least just scared of it. I I do think what we're talking about here is we're talking about a character, and I, and I don't know if there are actual mental illnesses that are replicated in exactly the same way that the mental illness is replicated in Split. I don't know that for a fact because I'm not a psychologist. Yeah, yeah. but they are talking about a, about a specific. Um, illness, which is DID, mm-hmm. Dissociative in- per- Identity yeah. Disorder or something. Yeah, what well, used to be called schizophrenia at the time, right? Didn't no, we, I didn't think they it was used a call that? Um, split personality or something. Oh, okay. Because sometimes the names have changed over the years right. because we've learned more about the condition. And we've yeah. gone, that's not actually the correct way of, there's a difference between this condition and that condition. Right. We label it differently. And I don't, I'm not familiar enough with those things. But I will say that at the end of the day, that from a behavioral perspective, there's nothing that can prevent me from thinking that what's actually occurring with this person, no matter how many different people are inside their head trying to take control, the problem is that the behaviors along the way are atrocious. Um, and so then, therefore, I just have to label that. Now, you you would tell me, well, yeah, but if you cut that down into layers, there's lots of different layers. Well, like, well yeah, but there's lots of different layers in me. The, I mean, the behavior is <laughs> definitely atrocious. Yeah. Um, but does that automatically equate to villain like mm. like take the revenant have you seen the revenant yeah the bear yes that mauled leonardo dicaprio yeah that behavior was atrocious 
but is that bear a villain? Well, that 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 is. I know the bear is not a person, but yeah. Basically, what I'm getting at is he's definitely a monster. Yeah, but I for me, it's hard to make the leap to villain because he's so out of control of his own faculties. So your so your argument is that in our definition of heroes and villains, that there are too many conflicting intentions for us to be able to label the behavior yeah that's a good way to say okay it. yeah um all right that's that's a fascinating one there's gonna be a lot of people on all sides of that <laughs> that discussion <laughs> you have to leave us your comments uh in the in on, at the uh, storygeeks.com um now we're gonna move on to dr ellie staple so sandra i'll start with you on this one is she a hero or is she a villain <sighs> yeah um i don't know if i care enough about her to label her as a villain I would probably just shoot her over to that side but she blows I mean <laughs> she she wants in a, in a nutshell she wants people to live in a less enchanted world mm. and that stinks I mean even just in like a day-to-day life when someone comes to you and they might say you know I'm gonna be the next big pop star and they play a song for you and you're like and then you just like have that ability to break them down or be like, cool, let me like hope with you in that um, there's no enchantment or things to look forward to. Mm. Um, but in this world, there's clearly no enchantment. Like she, well, she doesn't want there to be, she's suppressing it. And mm. that's even worse because she knows it exists mm. and she doesn't want the world to know it exists. She and her I was going to say horde, but she and her (laughs) group, um, they don't want people to know. And Mm. so I don't know if that's a villain necessarily, but she blows. Like that's just, (laughs) yeah, she's not a hero. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, could she be like neutral? Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) Right, right, right. (laughs) Maybe so. What do you think, Daryl? Well, that's what makes this movie so interesting. It makes it makes it, I feel like, a good look at what would really happen in reality if there were superhumans. Because that's how it would be. It wouldn't be clear-cut. Like, I feel like very rarely do we have clear-cut heroes and villains Hmm. in the real world. Hmm. Because personal motivations are so complicated and so specific to Hmm. each person. But um, at least in the context of the movie, I feel like she's presented as a villain. Mm -hmm. Um, I have when you really think about the implications of her character and what she's doing and what this organization is doing, you kind of want to not say that because I feel, I feel like she's presented as a villain because they just don't give us anything about her. Mm-hmm. All she is is a roadblock to Elijah and Kevin and David. Yeah, right. All She's just the ultimate antagonist. Like she's just, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Exactly. Like she's just trying to hinder everything. And we're never given anything about her to latch on to as her own character. Right. So in that sense, she feels like a villain. But if you step back and look at the story and think she's part of this clandestine organization that is trying to suppress the knowledge of superhumans Mm -hmm. and think about why they might be doing that, Mm. it is such an easier leap to believe that they started at least doing that to protect people because they thought there was a threat. Right. And so they're going too far with it probably which is why i feel like you can compare her to magneto because mm. if you look at the x-men like magneto is 
he's acting in what he believes is the best interests of his people. Right. But he's crossing lines and doing things he shouldn't do in order to help them. Right. And I feel like she's doing that, but just from the other side, from the human side rather than the superhuman side. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so I, I don't want to call her a villain yeah. <laughs> because I don't want the character to be that shallow. <laughs> I want to believe that M. Night thought this through and that there's more depth to why this organization began in the first place. Yeah. And think about those implications. And then it's, it's hard for me to take her as a villain. Yeah. You know, certainly not a hero, more just somebody who is dealing with something scary and trying to control it. Yeah. You know, it's really fascinating because if you were to take the perspective of, um, the cheerleaders. Yeah. This lady is a hero, man. Like Mm -hmm. if you, if your experience is only Mr. Glass and the horde, you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm on board with Clover, (laughs) Clover organization, right? (laughs) Like, because they are, they are using, uh, glasses using his mastermind capacity. The, the interesting thing about masterminds is a lot of times they're showcased as using that mastermind power in nefarious ways. Like you could use your mastermind power in a lot of great ways. Mm-hmm. You could use the infinity gauntlet Thanos <laughs> in a lot of yeah. really good ways. You don't have to be a dick about it. Um, but I think that what, what's so fascinating about her character is that she is portrayed as a villain for sure. Like you're supposed yeah. to think that mm-hmm. she's a villain. Um, and at first you think she's a villain because she's ignorant mm-hmm. and she just doesn't know what she's talking about. And then you realize that, oh, no, she does know what she's talking about. She she actually knows that they all have superpowers and she's trying to suppress them. Yeah. Um, so I would actually make the argument that she's actually a lot closer on to towards hero than she's portrayed. Yeah. Uh, because if you look at it this way, David Dunn is a vigilante. He's not trying to work with other police systems. <laughs> He's not trying to do things the right way. He's doing things the subversive, subversive way. If you look at Mr. Glass, he's doing horrendous things and causing all kinds of mayhem. And the Beast really needs help. <laughs> he really needs some help. Um, and what she's doing is actually she's not trying to – she's really not trying to take them out of society or make them uh, – ostracize them she's trying to be more inclusive of them by doing the surgery thing now we don't know what the surgery thing does it doesn't seem good Mm. it it seems bad based on what we're looking at so i would argue that um the problem is that she's using deceit and that she's using this clandestine organization to protect her tribe at the expense of the superhumans and that's the, the troubling part so i think that what's interesting is it's portrayed as like that's a villainous thing to do and i'm like well when you're asking who, because David Dunn is the only person who doesn't deserve to be not messed with by her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everybody else deserves to be messed with by her organization. Yeah. So fascinating. <laughs> we just made it through only the lead characters. We still have three more to go. <laughs> um, all right. So Sandra, uh, Joseph Dunn. Is he a hero? Right? Yes. Or a villain. He or be a villain. villain. I don't think he's, I think he's a sidekick. He is um, a Dick Grayson, you know. He's yeah. he's just uh, Daryl immediately loves this character more. Oh, <laughs> I'm loading up. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. <laughs> yeah, I think he is there to help the true hero. So you know, he's a hero by osmosis, maybe, but he's he's not. 
fully a hero. Mm. Now I think he has the potential just with his experience in messing with technology and being able to track his dad and and give information to help find these bad people. He has the potential to do more good, but I don't know. I mean, he's if I have to pick hero or villain, I pick hero, but I don't know if he's a true hero. Mm. Uh, I mean, I guess he is selfless. I don't know. <laughs> he's just not like... He's just not as as great and as big of a hero as his dad. He doesn't sacrifice quite as much, right? He on doesn't. The, on the you have to be selfless and you have to sacrifice. Being selfless means you have to sacrifice. He doesn't have to sacrifice as much as David does because he's sitting behind a computer, right? Right. But he does have to sacrifice his dad's safety and walking alongside that with him. Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting one. But what do you think, Daryl? Um, Dick Grayson. Dick Grayson is just a sidekick. That's hurting me so I'm much. Sorry. Right now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, Remember, I'm a 66 gal. No, and, and that was a sidekick. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I think he's a hero. I think he is actually. It's hard for me to talk about just him. I want to talk about all three of these next characters oh, that yeah, you're yeah, doing yeah. at once, but. Um, this and this gets into what I was saying earlier about how I think the film ends beautifully in relation yeah. to control. Yeah. But I feel like he is a hero. I think Casey's a hero. Mm. And I think Mrs. Price is presented as a hero, but probably just shouldn't have been in the movie at all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um the main reason for that is because they are the ones that finally bring about a peaceful resolution ah. in this movie by releasing knowledge of these superheroes yeah. without trying to control things. They're the ones that finally relinquish control mm. Mm. and let things go. That's and they're not point. afraid of the consequences anymore. Yeah. And so in that regard, this is when I start to get into my make it better stuff because yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish there were some changes that would have made that even more beautiful. Mm. Oh, okay. Um, and I can get into that later if you want to, yeah, or we yeah. can save it for another episode. But um, I... There are definitely some some scenes in the movie where he feels like nothing more than a sidekick. Mm-hmm. To me, though, and I'm really biased in this area because my favorite characters started as sidekicks. So to me, that's legacy. To me, that's he's carrying on what his dad was trying to do. Right. And even in a way that might be more healthy than mm-hmm. what David was doing to begin with. Hmm. So, which is why I I think I have ideas for make it better because of that very reason. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That would have to be a different podcast. Where, mm-hmm. where this is a long one, but we could do that. I'm down yeah. for that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what do you think, Sandra? Or you already, already got yours. So you think he's you think he's a hero? But I think he's a hero. Okay. And you also labeled I Casey actually as think a hero. I think he and Casey are the heroes. Yeah. Uh, in the movie, and Mrs. Mrs. Price is presented as one too. But again, I just I think yeah. the movie would have been better without her in it at all. So I'm gonna, I say I would agree with you. He's a total hero. I'm gonna have a very different take on the other two characters. But before I go there, <laughs> since you've already kind of s- said what you said, why don't you tell us, Sandra, Mrs. Price, Casey Cook, what do you think? Mrs. Price, I think, is an enabler. I think she does not acknowledge fully what her son has done, and is still trying to see him live to a different type of potential. But like, what the heck, dude? Like, he <laughs> yeah. did some horrible things, yeah. and like, she's just doting on him. And it's like, you go, baby, come on, you could do. It. <laughs> That's why um, I don't think she should be in the movie because I feel right. like 
she's she, being put on the same level as Casey and Joseph, mm-hmm. which is not fair. Mm-hmm. I don't think she should be. Yeah, it it was odd seeing her there. I really would have liked to just see Joseph and Casey. Now, Casey, you said you think Joseph and Casey are the only two heroes. Did I hear that right? I think they're the heroes at the end of the, the film. Heroes. Oh, okay. At the end. I think David was a hero too, but right. he's not around at the end of the film. So. <laughs> and I think Casey is, I mean, I loved her character. I mm. feel like she absolutely was a her- hero, second only to David. Mm. Um, I think what she did, again, just standing in for Kevin and really protecting him. And she's facing those guns, too. They're aiming at, at him, so they're aiming at her. And she's there, and she's mm. fighting for him, and she stays with him. And here's a man, like, man, talk about forgiveness. Like, she is able to experience him as a hurting person mm. as opposed to the beast, as opposed to the person who held her hostage. Mm. Like, that is such a beautiful statement. We haven't even talked about forgiveness, but (laughs) (laughs) but that right there shows that her heart and her decision of what to do with the abuse that she endured is to be so full of empathy and so full of compassion Mm. and love and and to give him that and Mm. to... To, I mean, to hold him, to reach out and actually like touch his arms and to hug him, embrace him so deeply. Like that right there is, mm. I think, such of what it means to be a hero. Mm. So I think she's And to second. try to show him a different direction, too, because oh, she yeah. tells him that she that she got her uncle who was abusing her mm-hmm. thrown in prison. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I think she is uh, she's definitely a hero. Mm. Um, but yeah, Mrs. Price, I just think she's kind of an enabler she shouldn't have been there she shouldn't have i don't want to bleed too much in to make it better in case we're going to do something <laughs> else but her character i think hurt the story it mud- it muddied things up a bit if yeah. she wasn't there yeah. elijah would have been even more over the edge and more twisted and everything he was doing would have made even more sense yeah and we wouldn't have had to look at a really bad makeup job I to know. make her look older <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I, I will... Wait, let me say a couple more things about Casey. Sure, sure, sure. Because um, there's some stuff in the movie that maybe you noticed, maybe you didn't, but little things that they throw in visually yeah. that really help drive home how great a character and how heroic Casey really is mm. um, in regards to sort of her connection to Kevin. Mm. So you see her wearing the jacket from the zoo, Yep, mm-hmm. which is... That came from her captivity. Mm-hmm. So the fact that she's even holding on to that jacket right. shows a lot of how she regards Kevin and her intentions towards him. Yeah. And then also, and I didn't realize this till I went back and read an article, but um, you watch the movie and Kevin clearly has two, the beast has two scars on him. Right. Yeah. And you never see why in the movie. But the reason you don't see why is because it happened in Split. Mm. Casey shot him twice with a shotgun. Mm. So the only visible scars and signs of weakness that the beast has on him yeah. came from Casey. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is a very cool, subtle little thing. That is cool. Um, I'm not as far on the Casey hero train as you guys are. Um, and here's why. I think Mrs. Price and Casey, to me, are sort of cut from the same cloth. 
I do believe that you're right that Casey does ha- is motivated in a better way than Mrs. Price is because mm-hmm. Mrs. Price just wants the best for her son at yeah. the exclusion of other people. I believe, mm-hmm. whereas Casey is not necessarily excluding other people, right? In in the way that she looks at it, uh, I think that they're really complex characters. And I think that there's some of the best characters. Now, you might have a, I think your argument for not including Mrs. Price is actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like that, mm-hmm. again, M. Night Shyamalan is giving us, um, is giving us real complexity as we, as we t- take these uh, into, under consideration. Um, when we make decisions, we tend to do so by assessing how those decisions impact those around us. If the decisions I make impact you and Sandra, I'm pointing at Daryl, Daryl and Sandra, (laughs) but it may hurt someone else on the other side of the world, it's easier for me to justify that decision because I know Daryl and Sandra. So if I make a decision that, oh yeah, this happens by the way, all the time, because anytime that that we as a country, let's say, so just take it, you can take all your different tribes, right? You can take your national tribe where you live, what country you're in. You can take your uh, your community that's around you, your regional tribe. You can take your family tribe. You can. There's lots of tribes that you can be part of. Mm-hmm. And when you take those tribes, you usually make decisions that benefit your tribe. And it's much easier to do that. So you take it from a nation perspective and you go, <laughs> well, clearly that nation over there is evil. So yes, I'm voting to go to war with that nation. You're doing so at the expense, even if it's not, even if you would, we would hope that it would be like government versus government, not government versus like populace. But the reality is if we vote to go to war, guess what? Some innocent people are going to die too, right? Um, and I'm voting for Daryl and Sandra over those people because I want to protect what we have or whatever, right? We're, so this this happens a lot. Um, and I, I think that that makes both Casey and Mrs. Price very real. Mm-hmm. Think of all the, th- I mean, this happens in micro, in microcosms. If you ever see a mom who basically is like, my kid's not out of order right now. My kid's fine. You shouldn't tell my kid how to behave. Mm-hmm. No, your kid's out of order. Like someone needs to tell him how to behave. <laughs> it's just that he's part of your tribe. So you're defending him when maybe you right. shouldn't be, right? Um, that's enabling. <laughs> that's enabling. Yeah. So, uh, and, and I just think like, imagine if you were someone who identified as Republican. And you said, you know what, though? I think that my candidate is harmful to the world, so I'm going to vote Democrat. That's almost unheard of. When would that ever happen? <laughs> it should have probably on. happened a lot more than it did. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but most people won't do that. And I think that – I think you guys are, are bringing up some – what you guys are bringing up about Casey is a really good point that separates her from Mrs. Price. And that is is that her intent is love for everybody, and she feels like bringing Kendall – uh, Kendall, <laughs> Kevin Wendell Crumb is just my just my shorthand name for him. Kendall, um, by bringing Kevin back to the light, she is then helping a lot of people, and I think that's true. The problem is she's also not looking at the fact that like he needs a lot more help than she's ever going to be able to provide, and she's not living with him day to day. He kidnapped four four cheerleaders and was going to eat them. <laughs> right like so to say like oh i'm gonna let him do his thing and just go to school i think is a big problem so that's why i can't say that she's a total hero because i don't mm-hmm. feel like i do i do agree with you guys you guys have described her in a really well-rounded way where she's sacrificing she's, she's forgiving that's phenomenal but i think she needs to look a little bit more broadly at what's going on well that's the beauty of this story that's the yeah. beauty of why this story is so small yes and so brief and so 
tight. Yeah. You you can't necessarily assume that she doesn't understand all those things. Like within the scope of this story, yeah. she is only there to prevent the beast from going nuts and killing a bunch of people because he just got out of an insane asylum. Like you don't, totally. you can't assume that she doesn't grasp how much therapy Kevin's going to need if he does come into the light and what the dangers could be to other people of not just killing the beast. You know I mean? Yeah. Maybe I don't, that's I don't know fair. that you can make that leap. Maybe that's fair, but she's wearing the jacket. I mean, like, 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 why would you like, so he put her through trauma, right? She's wearing the jacket. If I were looking at that, I'd be like, we need to have a conversation. He put her <laughs> through trauma, but part of the point of split is he also helped her overcome her own trauma. Right. Sure. Sure. And, it, that, and not only that, it could be a badge of honor for her, not necessarily a nod to like, oh, I, gee, I miss Kevin, but more right. like, look, I survived this. This is what is the catalyst to make me finally say what's been going on before this horrific mm. event. And so get my uncle in jail. And like, this is what, what changed everything for me. Being at the zoo mm. changed everything. And it could just be that. It could be. It could be. Yeah, it could be. I just think I just think that it's it's at least worthy of discussion. Sure. So I'm glad we talked about it. Um, so yeah, fascinating characters, really well-rounded characters. We talked about them for a while. Let's finish out the podcast by talking about the finale. And I know this podcast is going to be a long one, so apologies <laughs> in advance. But hopefully, you liked Glass in your or you didn't like Glass. Apologies in, your, in advance. We're almost done with it. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. Apologies in. They could see the time in, when they in hit retrospective. Play. Apologies. Uh, so was this a satisfying conclusion to the trilogy? And then does it make you want to see more films? And you guys have actually talked about that already, that it, that it kind of does make you want to see some more films. So I'll start with Sandra. Sandra, was this a satisfying conclusion to the trilogy? And do you want to see more films? Um, yes and no. And I'll explain each with 10 points clearly thought. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. No. <laughs> no, um, I do want to see more from this universe. And so part of me thinks that because I still want more, it's okay to end here because then I'm just like still thinking and it's marinating and I'm wondering what, what are they doing and what's happening now? Um, what I what I would like to see, are we getting there yet? Like yeah, what? Yeah, okay, so what I would like to see, because Mr. Glass said this is an origin story and I'm like, ooh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so something's gonna happen with Joseph. So again, the legacy mm -hmm. idea of like seeing yeah. him Maybe it's not a real superpower, but he's able to kind of pick up where his dad left off in as much as he can with his abilities. Um, and then seeing something with Casey, mm -hmm. I thought, okay, let's get Mrs. Price out of the picture. You have Joseph and Casey, and they're there at um, the train station, and they are realizing that they can step into a role of being mm -hmm. some sort of superhero. Mm -hmm. And we didn't see that. But instead we saw, which I kind of felt like it's a little bit of a, of a participation trophy ending <laughs> where it's like, hey, guys, we're all heroes. Yay. And I was like, oh, OK. Like right. it was so blatant, at least for viewers who are going to infer that right away. Mm -hmm. You know, some might not understand. I think if someone like my mom were watching, she'd be like, what? What happened? Yeah. Uh, but she also wouldn't watch the trilogy anyway. But for me, I was like, oh, I just, it felt like that participation trophy thing. Mm. And so the ending, I would like to see more and not the everybody's a hero thing, but see some of those other characters develop, like see Joseph and Casey developed. That makes sense. What do you think, Joe? 
I don't think I want to see more. I, oh. I do think it was a satisfying conclusion. Mm. It was not the conclusion that I was expecting. Mm. Um, I think I was expecting more of a good versus evil battle between Elijah and oh, yeah. David. Yeah. And kind of a final wrap up, like we'd get a heroic moment for David and he would go forth as the hero, yeah. you know, and that's more of what I was expecting. Yeah. But seeing the way they actually did it, I realized that would have been less appropriate. Yes. I think Shyamalan ended this way, ended this trilogy very, very faithfully to where he started it. Hmm. And I think he did an amazing job, which is part of why I don't want to see more of it. Hmm. Because I'm I'm like, did he get lucky? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if he could do it again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like... I'm not sure, but it'd be fun if he handed it off to somebody else who who got the vision. Could be, yeah, yeah could be. Right, and Johnson, and maybe. Joseph and Casey are very interesting characters. Mm. So if they made more, yeah, I would check it out. But I think the the chief reason that I don't want more is because the big you know the control thing was a big part of what resonated on this mm. for me, mm. and part of what makes them heroes is how they were able to release control yeah. of this big secret of superhumans in the world. Yeah, so I feel like. That's the conclusion hmm. to this story. Okay. Is now it's out there. We know the answer. Yes, there are superhumans in the world. What's that going to do to the world? We don't know. We can't <laughs> right. control it anymore. And I feel that way as a viewer too. It's uh, like, okay, there, there could be more to this story, but they don't get to know it. And that's how they resolve things. So me not getting to know it makes me feel like this is complete in a weird way too. Yeah. So... Like we're square, we're where yeah. the characters are. Yeah, like a lot of it was very unexpected, but yeah, I, think I think it was the right way to go. I totally agree. It's the right way to go. The smaller battle at the end is the right way to go. Having all the characters die is the right way to go. And not and not all done in a like I think that that the arc of the horde and Kevin Wendell Crumb specifically is is done phenomenally when he's there with Casey. That's a great end to that arc. Mm-hmm. Even if those characters aren't perfect and they're not heroes, it doesn't matter. There is there's a there is a note of forgiveness and almost of even redemption or like you can be redeemed even though you've done all of these atrocious things, mm-hmm. even when you felt like you were out of control or not in control, even when you were too scared to come to the light. I think that that's a really fascinating message and probably the most powerful message that's in the story because Mr. Glass just gets his way but his way was wrought with like horrific things. Like, so I think that's why you say like Mrs. Price being there is just like, dude, that's not cool. Yeah. You know, um, he didn't have to suffer at all to get his way. Whereas David Dunn had to suffer a lot and didn't really ever get his way fully. Like he just had kind of was tragic yeah. in the end to a degree. And I don't think Glass fully got his way. I mean, true. I think. The way things are going to come out, yeah. I think, is different than he would have intended. He wanted to come out looking like an amazing mastermind. I don't know if he will. Yes. Yeah. But I also think that he wanted, I don't know, I think he wanted people to fear these superhumans and stuff uh, like that. Yeah. And I feel like the way that Joseph and Casey actually put it out there yeah. will make people approach it. I mean, some will be afraid. Sure. People are afraid of what they don't understand. Some of it, they'll be fascinated. But I think there's a tragedy to it mm. where they're going to people will sort of get like these are people too, like, yeah, you know, we don't need to bow down to these gods. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I think the the 
part of it w that makes me want something more is that the the reveal of the organization is very dissatisfying when you know that the organization is going to continue. There's going to be more. Uh, Ellie, I think it was Ellie, says that the doctor says we see that when someone with superpowers rises up, so it's almost like uh, it's almost like the Last Jedi, right? When when so <laughs> when the light side rises up, the dark side rises up to meet it, and so we know that it's cyclical. This is not the first time it's happened. It's mm -hmm. not going to be the last time that it happens. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, now that the world knows about it, how does that change it? And I think it's actually, I don't want to see that film because that's a Marvel film, right? <laughs> but I would like to see another smaller film that has something to do with small characters trying to figure out how to be heroes that are truly real life <laughs> and, uh, and dealing with Man. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, that's the sequel. Uh, um, so anyways, I think I would, I, I love how it ended. Uh, one thing that I think is really special about M. Night Shyamalan movies is, again, you cannot escape to them. If you're looking to escape for the weekend and you don't want to think about the movie after it's over with, don't go see his movies. <laughs> Except for maybe Airbender yeah. and then be disappointed. <laughs> but I think, you know, from a story geek's perspective, we when we did our Star Wars fan film, we ended it at a place where you're like, wait, 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 that's yeah. it? And it's like, yeah, because that's life. Like, life does that. Now, why does life do that? And let's talk about why life does that. Yeah. That's the whole intent. And I think that, that by us sitting down and saying, yeah, Mrs. Price, interesting. Oh, yeah, Casey, how does that work? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, wait a second. Mr. Glass, what, what are we talking about here? That is how the film, I think, should be viewed and yeah. should be discussed. It's not. It's, it's an art film. It's not supposed to be an action film. So I really like that part of it. Yeah, and I think the tension of the hard left turn of the yeah of the Clover people yeah yeah is not going to be resolved by having another movie that shows us more about it's the true. Clover people. I think that that frustration will still exist. I think the only way to adequately solve that frustration would be to go back in time and have him insert something in the other movies that gives us something to latch onto yes, about that. Yes, you yes, you know yes, what I mean. Totally. Which. That's one tiny little tragedy, if you will, of this trilogy is because he took so long to decide whether or not he was even going to make more movies after Unbreakable. Yeah. Um, it may have turned out differently than it would have if he would have just done it to begin with. Uh, because true. Kevin Wendell Crumb was a character in the original script for Unbreakable. Oh, hmm. no way. So I didn't know that. He did not come up with Split years later and then think, oh, I can connect that back to Unbreakable. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He's had these characters the whole time. I don't know if he's had Ellie Staple the whole time, but he had Kevin Wendell Crumb the whole time. I will and say so, this just in response to that. Yeah. If, we, if he had done that, we would never have had James McAvoy as Kevin Wendell Crumb. Totally. And I can't even imagine another actor playing that role. He's amazing. He, Keanu Reeves, totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, now I'm... Now Whoa. I'm Patricia. <laughs> like what? <laughs> Whoa. Now I'm Barry. Now I'm Barry. Oh wait, no. <laughs> like dude, you're the same now. That was a good that was, that was really funny. <laughs> well, we'll close it out there with our Keanu Reeves <laughs> reference. <laughs> That's it for today's show. Special thanks to Sandra Demas and Daryl Smith for joining me, Jay Shear, on today's show. If you want more content from the Story Geeks related to glass, head over to thestorygeeks.com. This week you'll find blogs from Ashley and Anthony. And if you head over right now and become a supporter of the Story Geeks for $2 a month or more, you'll unlock access to this week's Aftercast, 
where we give our top 10 Bruce Willis movies. And it's not just geek movies either. It's all, all Bruce Willis. His whole catalog. Coming up next week on the Story Geeks podcast, we'll be digging into Superman the movie from 78. And we're also going to have some great content on Infinity Gauntlet, the comic that inspired, partially, Infinity War, which we'll also be talking about coming up. So don't forget to subscribe. You don't want to miss out on that. If you enjoyed today's show or any of the Story Geeks podcast, please share our show with a geek friend or give us a review. Review the Story Geeks podcast on iTunes. That is a really big deal to us as well. Thanks for listening. And as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories. Always seek the truth.